How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden and bringing you tonight's episode, today's episode I suppose, is SeatGeek. Our friends at SeatGeek have obviously been with us for a long, long time and we have a promo code there that is L-O-N-B-A. Again, our promo code at SeatGeek is L-O-N-B-A and I just used it today actually Um, and That'll get you a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. Again, LOMBA will get you a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. And Frank, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing okay, but we should we should probably give a shout out if people missed it the first time for our song intro, which we've been using now for, I don't know, a few weeks. But uh, Danny Schmitz of the band Lost in a Name, at Lost in a Name, I believe on both Instagram and Twitter, Danny is a, a Bucks fan who recorded that awesome intro. He's on Twitter at Danny underscore shred, as in shredding on the uh, on the guitar. Um, so shout out to Danny for that. Um, hopefully people are digging it. We've we've gotten a number of good good comments. So way better than anything we could have ever obviously done ourselves. So shout out to Danny. Um, <laughs> yeah, emerged, I, I can. I, I don't. Yeah, way better than anything we could have done. <laughs> um. So I don't. I guess we can't have an emergency podcast for a trade that doesn't involve the Bucks. But um, today we had a, a a very surprising trade. I would say not that anybody was uh, going to be shocked when Kyrie, if and when Kyrie Irving got dealt, but certainly to hear Kyrie Irving being dealt to the Boston Celtics in a package involving Isaiah Thomas and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, that I mean. I was I was surprised. I was excited just as an NBA fan. I, I didn't really see that coming. Uh, I don't know. What what was your immediate take, Eric? I would say shocked. I'm I'm down with saying shocked because oh, it, like I'm still confused. It's ten fifteen on Tuesday night and this went down around six thirty and I've been thinking about it for four hours and I still don't really get it. Like I'm I'm just kind of kind of lost on all of this so yeah i think shocked again like you said it can't be an emergency pod because well this isn't locked on calves and if you want to go listen to locked on calves go right ahead chris manning uh does that every day just like we do it for the bucks and uh he i'm sure he's gonna break this down like crazy uh so uh, i don't know like i i just 
after all this time, and I was kind of wondering, have has everything died down, and are we going to get to a spot where eventually Kyrie and LeBron just suck it up and say, you know what, we're going to play together. It's not worth it. We can't find a deal. We just got to suck it up and play. I was starting to wonder if we had gotten to that point, and we clearly did not. And then, uh, I mean, throughout this summer, like there's been times where we've heard – Indiana wasn't sure about dealing to who was it? Um, someone in the division, maybe the Bulls, or the Bulls weren't sure about dealing uh, to someone else in the division, and they weren't sure about dealing to someone else in the Eastern Conference. And now the two best teams in the Eastern Conference just pulled off a huge trade. It, it's it's just a weird, just a weird time. Yeah, it was interesting. I think a week ago, Bill Simmons on his, on his podcast. You know, basically said that the, the, an Isaiah Kyrie trade isn't going to happen just because of that reason. Basically, just that there's going to be too much sort of, I guess, you know, risk aversion, um, fear of doing a deal that uh, you know is going to be just immediately under the microscope, right? I mean, it, it, whoever goes to the finals, I'm I'm going to assume obviously these are the two teams that that people are going to pick to be the the you know heavy favorites to be in the East Finals. Um, whichever team comes out of that, obviously whichever team loses immediately gets the question of like, oh, well, you know, do they regret that trade? It's something that they, you know, make some mistake a year ago or last summer when they when they make this deal. Um, but I actually I have to say, I mean, my first reaction was a that was a really nice haul for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, yep. You know, I, I think back to, and I think we, you know, I know in our previous podcasting lives when we talked about the, and not to give people sort of like PTSD flashbacks um, over bad trades, but I remember talking with, with Steve Von Horn about the, the Gravis Vasquez trade. And, you know, a lot of times when you look at trades, you just look at sort of the little things in trades or sometimes the big things, but you kind of look at it and you say, well, clearly you can tell which team kind of relented at the end and was just like oh fine we'll 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 give you even more than probably was reasonable right and you know you could say in in the Grievous Vasquez I mean giving both a first round pick and a second round pick for a guy on an expiring contract I mean obviously it was like you would expect maybe one of those things would have would have gotten a deal done right like two shows which team was more desperate and which team was more patient um you know another example with the Celtics I mean that the fact that the Celtics and the Sixers there were those pick protections um, involved with the picks uh, that went to um, that went to Philly, I guess, right? Like to me, that was like, wow, Philly really, you know, sort of turned the screws at the end and and really kind of got the last little bits on the margin. Um, and then in this deal, again, I mean, if people are, haven't heard of the details of the trade, I mean, it's Isaiah Thomas coming from Boston. He's obviously the the centerpiece, but Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder. And Ante Zizic, who's you removed from being a first-round pick, and you know a guy that again may not be a, a high upside player, but could be a potentially solid big man uh, and a young guy coming over in the deal, and then an unprotected Brooklyn first next year, which obviously you know for the last two years has been talked about as you know one of these crown jewel type assets because of how bad the Nets have been. Now the Nets might might not be as bad, obviously, so maybe the pick protections don't or the lack of pick protections don't matter quite as much but to kind of get all of that stuff and part of the reason is because Isaiah Thomas just doesn't make much money so salary matching just becomes harder given Isaiah and Jay Crowder are both really cheap and on bargain contracts but you know if you could like 
if the Cavs were sitting around drawing up like wish list trades and they had to be at least semi reasonable, I mean, that would have been like a wish list trade, would it not? I mean, like unprotected Brooklyn pick, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, and oh, throw in a young guy to make salaries match. I mean, that that is about as much as you could ask for. And I'm sure if you were a Celtics fan, you would have said, oh, no way Danny gives up all that stuff for for Kyrie Irving. Like, oh, he's not going to give up that much. Isaiah is basically as good as Kyrie now and, you know, blah, blah, blah. These other guys, you know, Jay Crowder's really valuable at his contract, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it, I, I was surprised at how much they were able to get um, and we can talk about what that means sort of from a buck centric perspective in a second. But um, but I was I was impressed at the haul they got, given that they were the team that should have been the you know, Cavs should have been the desperate ones. Right. They were the ones who, you know, were, were staring at the potential awkwardness, as, as you were kind of alluding to. Of, I mean, they could try to bring back Kyrie and go to go into camp and hope that LeBron and Kyrie can make up. But that could have been a disaster. And so instead, they avoid that. And not only do they get, you know, a chance to potentially upgrade for this season, I mean, you could argue that Isaiah, if he comes back healthy, questions obviously about his hip. He's been out since uh, the playoff series against the Cavs. Um, questions about him coming back and being 100%. But uh, assuming he's you know close to to what he was, you throw in Jay Crowder as well. I mean, arguably, you're, you should be better this year. And then on top of that, you've got you know a young asset in, in Zizic plus uh, a Brooklyn first-round pick, which you'd expect to be a high lottery pick. So um, fulfills sort of the short-term and long-term kind of goals that we heard the cats were looking for in a Kyrie trade, which I was kind of skeptical they could get all of that, but they got that. And Boston, obviously, I mean, we, we, it's been a punchline that they, Danny Ainge has been unwilling to kind of go there and actually give up assets that he's been, you know, basically stockpiling for a while. But now he's made a couple deals that, you know, I mean, have kind of, you know, one deal obviously with, with Philly to, to, to stockpile another asset, um, but then, you know, with, the, with this other pick that they're going to get next year or the year after from Philly, but, um, but this move really is a, is a cash in move. Right. And I, I don't know. I'm, I can see the argument because do you want to have to max out Isaiah Thomas next summer, given he's 29, I think going on 30, um, Kyrie's obviously a, a much more useful longer term piece and has a couple years left, but, um, he did not come cheap. It's an insane haul. Totally insane. Like we we talked what I don't know the last time we talked Kyrie maybe three weeks ago somewhere around there we talked and we said you know what maybe the because we heard about the asking price the Cavs had and we said you know what maybe they get rebuffed by so many teams and just get turned away again and again and they eventually say you know what we only want either to win in the short term or to win in the long term. Like, we'll take one of those deals, and if that's how it plays out, you know what, so be it. We're just not getting good enough offers. And we contemplated, like, oh, could Middleton, Brogdon, and a first get it done? No. It is a resounding no. That could not have got it done. For for what they got, like... It, it it's just it's crazy to me it, it's absolutely crazy to me that uh, again i think as we were having this conversation we were debating what is Kyrie's value how do people around the league value him and we said okay well maybe some people view him as i don't know a top 20 guy maybe some people view him as a top 50 guy 
maybe it goes in that range anywhere in there and there's good arguments for why he's overrated and there's some good arguments why he's underrated and you can try to figure out what his value is and have no idea and Danny Ainge is willing to give up more for Kyrie Irving than Jimmy Butler I think that's lunacy I think that's absolute lunacy and again I know you can counter with the idea oh well he knew he was going to have Hayward so Butler wasn't a position of need, so then he could do this, this, blah, blah, blah. Understood. But the fact that one of those Brooklyn picks wasn't in the mix for so many other deals that have gone down, like it wasn't in there for Paul George, it wasn't in there for uh, Jimmy Butler, like I said, like it, it wasn't in there for all these other things. And I, I guess I just have to say I'm, I'm generally confused uh, because – that debate around Kyrie is kind of so intense where some of the peripheral numbers don't really add up to a player that's all that impactful. Obviously, he's had the great clutch performances, and we've talked about how big of a difference he can make in the playoffs. But, man, to get a guy in IT that, again, I don't want to sign the next Isaiah Thomas contract. Uh, that doesn't interest me at all. Uh, but Isaiah Thomas was better than Kyrie last year. And if not better, quite similar. And then you add Jay Crowder, who is on the best contract in the league. And if not the best contract, one of the best contracts. As you're, I think he's three for 21 or 22 for the next three years. Uh, so around $7 million per year. Uh, then you add in Zizic, who, again, maybe he's not a player. And I, I know he had a, a pretty crummy summer league. So a lot of people are a little bit cooler on him than they were uh, last summer. But still... Maybe a player, like he's still only 20 years old, he's still got a good size, like maybe he's a rotation guy at some point. And just those three things, those three things I would have said, you know what, that's, that's a pretty good package for Kyrie Irving. Like that, that's not bad. And then they added a Brooklyn pick to it. Like those first three things, just the players, I would have said, okay. Like that that's not bad. Like you did pretty well for yourself. You found a guy that if LeBron decides to leave next year, you can pay as much as you want and try to keep him around and Isaiah Thomas, you have Jay Crowder going forward, like you you have some some good things and just to throw the Brooklyn pick on top of it, like that it's a win in the short term, it's a win in the long term and man, I I am just I'm surprised, shocked, confused, all of those things. Like I, I'm just not sure how we arrived at this point. Yeah, and the, the interesting thing is I'm not sure – I mean I don't really – I don't hate this move from from a Boston perspective because I think they had so many assets, you know, that like at some point you have to sort of consolidate into, into you know, fewer, better assets. And again, as you said, totally fair. Isaiah and Kyrie last year were – extremely comparable. I mean, you tough to find a guy who's sort of more similar to Kyrie in terms of sort of individual offensive brilliance matched by sort of defensive frailty or however you want to sort of, uh, you know, characterize it. But, um, so it, it's, it's definitely the most like for like move you could make in the, in a very short term perspective. Um, and again, with, with what the Cavs are facing and, and LeBron James, the uncertainty around him, um, you know, they obviously now have a chance to 
stay at the same level or be better next year with those two guys in place of just Kyrie. And I think the interesting thing is, you know, with this Brooklyn pick now, they have a nice piece in their back pocket where if LeBron does leave in a year, and obviously a lot of people are sort of treating that as, you know, uh, a very high likelihood of happening, then you can turn around and you could pretty easily pivot into a rebuild, right? You'd have, you know, a lottery pick with Brooklyn. And again, you know, one thing that has changed, right? A lot of people think Brooklyn is, is now that that pick is, is less valuable than it was, let's say two, three months ago, just because a lot of people kind of like some of the additions that, that Brooklyn has made over the summer, which, you know, I don't know if that, I don't, I mean, they're not going to be good, right? I'm not one of those people. Yeah, I mean, I think people underrate losing Brooke Lopez, to be honest. Um, I mean, I think Lopez totally is, is still a pretty good player. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you got to, like, is is D'Angelo Russell going to help you win a lot of games? It's a great question. I, I, I don't know. I mean, and they, they've added a bunch of kind of like, you know, DeMar. Are all those Cole, mediocre like, wings really going to help you win games? Like, eh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think they have a high, they definitely have a higher floor. I guess they have a higher ceiling, but but I don't know. I mean, again, I, I, it's not like this is a like oh they're going to win thirty five games now and be you know the eleventh pick in the draft, right? But I think probably the bigger thing is just that a number of other teams. I mean, Chicago, Atlanta, off the top of my head, For Indiana, sure. uh, teams around them have basically kind of just you know made clear moves to tank, and obviously the the Nets don't have an incentive to tank. So, but like I mean, Ola Depot and Miles Turner are better than the Nets, right? I I guess, but I also think Kenny Atkins is better than Nate McMillan. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, but it, I think there's yeah, a lot of, sure. so that I, I, I would agree that there's more uncertainty that yeah. what squabbling over that is not worth anything. So yeah, but, but I agree. I agree. Like the, the, like having any nets pick, you know, even with protections that have been, wow, not, you know, mm, good, good for you caps and having it unprotected. Right. Because I mean, that's the thing, right? This, this could be, I mean, this is why teams don't trade unprotected picks. They could be the sixth pick in the draft. And then they could, you know, the sixth pick in the lottery, the sixth seed in the lottery. Yep. What could. if they win? And then yep. what if they win the lottery? You know, mm-hmm. like what, if, what if that Dan Gilbert luck comes through again and they win the lottery yet again? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, then then obviously the whole complexion of this trade changes a lot. Right. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like you have to think that. I mean, if you're Danny Age, wouldn't you have been really trying to get like a top three protection or something on that pick i i don't know so yeah with the way he's refused to give it up this whole way yes right like he's treated that thing as though it's the greatest thing that the world has ever seen and now all of a sudden it's just thrown in unprotected what yeah yeah it's it's really surprising so i i i think you know again initial reaction i think is the same as as when we really talked through it i think Cleveland is a clear winner out of this trade, you know, given the pressure they had to make a move to, you know, I think this gives them a chance. I mean, LeBron presumably will be happy about this trade. Um, And I think the interesting thing is with this Brooklyn pick as well. I mean, if I'm the Cavs, there's no way I trade this Brooklyn pick for like, you know, a a short term, you know, win now type veteran um, to like assuage LeBron further. Unless LeBron tells me like, yes, I am going, you know, I am definitely resigning, right? Like if LeBron tells me he's resigning for another two, three years, if I make a trade of that Brooklyn pick for, and I don't even know what you could get for that Brooklyn pick, but I mean, it's going to definitely be worth something. You can get something good for that. Um, if 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 you told me LeBron was going to opt, you know, to 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 stay in Cleveland if I make a move of that, then that's one thing. I don't think he's going to do that. 
Um, so again, like I'm curious though, cause again, you don't have to, you know, trade him for a 32 year old veteran, right? Or trade that pick for a 32 year old veteran. Like do the Cavs go out and look for deals where they trade that pick for a guy who's, you know, a first, second or third year player who has a lot of upside, Mm -hmm. but, um, could actually help them this year. Right. I think that is the really the really interesting question that now faces Kobe Altman because now he's gotten this good trade and he set himself up where he has a lot more flexibility to and a lot more resilience. I'd say that I'd say that the, the Cavs as a franchise now could be a lot more resilient if LeBron leaves because they have this asset paired with, you know, the ability a year from now Crowder has three years left on his contract. As you pointed, you know, a year from now, if, if LeBron leaves, they could easily trade Jay Crowder for, some nice pieces mm-hmm. to, you know, picks, young players, whatever, to a team that that could use Jay Crowder in the short term. They could trade Kevin Love, and then obviously they have that Brooklyn pick. So they're actually set up to to bounce back, even if LeBron leaves and sort of, you know, really change the face of the team. Now, and there's flexibility Go- there too. Like that, that's yeah. the big thing too. Like it's not just, oh, we've thrown all of our eggs into the rebuilding basket, or we've thrown all of our eggs into the Isaiah Thomas basket. Like. They can go in a bunch of different directions. They can offer Isaiah Thomas all that money if they want him to be the face of their rebuild. Or they can just let him go and tank a little bit and get some picks and maybe trade off, like you said, a guy like Jay Crowder. They can decide to allow Jay Crowder to be a part of that rebuild. They can they can go in a lot of different directions. And I, I, it's, it's a really nice deal for the Cavs. So I, I think... So what do you think of the... Let, let's assume that, I mean... What do you think of the odds they actually keep that pick? Do you, do you think that do you think they're definitely going to keep that pick as sort of the, you know, ultimate like rebuild trump card in case LeBron leaves, or do you think that? And again, I, I would say I don't think they're going to let LeBron put them over a barrel and go trade it for you know an old player. But do you think there's a chance they would move that pick, you know, potentially for? maybe a younger guy who's actually who's a young player who has upside but is actually already in the league and could actually help them this year. Do you think that's something that they might actually look at or do you think at this point like nah that they're just going to hang on to that pick? I would think they're probably just going to hang on to that pick because as we've laid out already like they're arguably better than they already were last year. Like, yeah. And again, maybe that still is that probably I shouldn't say maybe it isn't. That still isn't enough to beat the Warriors. But like you're still already better than last year, so if you can be better than last year, probably go to the finals again and still have those things for later on. Like that seems pretty nice. And again, maybe maybe the move is to push all in, but that just seems like a, a foolhardy decision, especially with with the way LeBron kind of has you. Like, like he's got you in a really tough position. All right, so l- let's let's step back a second. So. I would agree with you. I mean, I think from a Bucks perspective, the obvious response to seeing this is, well, Bucks weren't weren't getting involved in this trade. Like, there's going to be no Monday morning quarterbacking of like, why didn't Horace go in there and offer, you know, X, Y, and Z? We could have beaten that, you know. Like, no, there's <laughs> there, we we had we had enough questions about, you know, even some of the hypothetical deals that weren't as good as this offer. Middleton, so think Brogdon, Thon, Jabari. Uh, and maybe a first rounder. I mean, you'd have to give up like the the whole roster basically right. to beat that yeah. pick, and there's no way that would have been worth it from the Bucks' perspective. So, um, so okay, no, um, no bitterness. Uh, you know, no, uh, there shouldn't be any sort of concerns from Bucks Nation that the Bucks should have been in on this deal. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, like, obviously, it's the two top teams last year in the conference swapping all-star point guards and obviously swapping some other pieces around that, primarily, obviously, with with Cleveland getting some additional pieces. Um, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, does this change the way you appraise, you know, where the Bucks kind of sit, how you know h- how hard it'll be for the Bucks to contend, short term, long term, or, or I don't know. Do you have any sort of immediate takeaways of you know f- f- from a Bucks fan perspective if this is a deal that that makes a big difference for the Bucks, other than the fact that obviously they're not the ones who are going to get Kyrie. So I guess the uh, over over the last year I've done a lot. I, I would say a lot of taunting of the Celtics and their assets, um, and. In the back of my mind at all times, I was kind of thinking like, oh man, if they somehow parlay those assets into Jimmy Butler and Paul George or Jimmy Butler and Gordon Hayward and then a serviceable point guard or trade away Isaiah Thomas and get a point guard that fits better. And in if all of those things kind of went right, I thought there was a chance that, okay, the Celtics could really bring together a team that I'm terrified of and I don't know that that's happened this summer Gordon Hayward I think is super underrated but ultimately is he a guy that strikes fear in my heart come playoff time? No Al Horford, same Kyrie Irving again he is that guy like in the playoffs but I don't know. Again, defensively, he's not there. You have the questions about how he actually affects winning, and, and yeah, I don't. The, and then they trade away guys like Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder. Like, there, there's just a lot there that makes me maybe a little bit less afraid of them than than I guess the juggernaut that I could have dreamed of somehow happening from all those assets. Um, and then in Cleveland. I mean, I said it all of last year with Isaiah Thomas. I'm cool with playing him. It, uh, it doesn't really matter what my team is. I'm I'm cool with playing him because uh, a team that that has to rely on him a lot. Obviously, it's not the same way in Cleveland. Like he's not the guy in Cleveland with LeBron there, but still, same way. Like defensively, you can always attack him. You can always try to make him pay, and I think you can do a pretty nice job of that. And I don't know if this move makes it any more likely that LeBron stays. So I think you're still looking at a scenario where either LeBron leaves the East totally or LeBron moves somewhere else in the East with maybe some older guys, that maybe some of the banana boat. I don't know. Um, so overall, I think as a Bucks fan looking forward and uh, thinking about this Bucks team that would likely be trying to strike in two to three years, certainly not this next year, I think I, I probably come away feeling pretty okay um, and thinking that maybe the, the top of the East isn't potentially as scary as I thought it could be. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things jump to mind immediately. There's sort of in the short term from a Cleveland perspective, Cavs, I think this this helps them short and long term. And the, the biggest X factor obviously is is did they do something that can actually convince LeBron to stay on long term, obviously. If if you can get LeBron James to not leave the Eastern Conference, that's obviously the most important thing, at least for the next you know, two, three years, uh, that you know, other teams in the East could be affected by, right? And obviously, the Bucks would be would be part of that, right? The best the best thing 
that could happen from a Cavs perspective for the Milwaukee Bucks is that LeBron James leaves a year from now and everything else is sort of secondary to that. Um, so I, I think the, the the other piece of this, so I will say is, you know, as you mentioned, the, the, the Celtics have been stockpiling all these assets for the last few years while simultaneously building a good team. And, and that's obviously scary because it's like, geez, they, they win 51 games and they, they won the East Eastern conference in the regular season. Granted, you know, not exactly all altogether convincingly and, you know, they necessarily weren't looking like a juggernaut in the process of doing so, but uh, they did that and then had cap space to work with this summer. And they have obviously all had all these picks moving forward. I think now, you know, as you said, and this team has had a, a ton of change. You know, when you when you think about that, this team has had a ton of of turnover for a team that you know you thought of as very up and coming and and in, heading in the right direction. I mean, as you said. Starting point guard, all-star point guard, you know, fan favorite, leader of the team is gone. Starting shooting guard, their defensive workhorse, the guy they used to cover up the, you know, uh, problematic defense of their starting point guard who now is being replaced by another point guard with problematic defense. Avery Bradley is, is gone, right? So their point guard stopper is gone, puts a lot more pressure on Marcus Smart, who now seems much more likely to be retained longer term. And then, as you said now, Jay Crowder. Well, Jay Crowder was obviously your most versatile sort of 3-4 uh, spot up three, you know, versatile defender guy. Uh, great contract. Now he's gone. So you've had a bunch of turnover there. And so on the one hand, I think, you know, you got Marcus Morris back, who is solid, you know, especially you know, he's been, uh, you know, again, nobody can stop LeBron, but, you know, the, he's been okay. You know, you can credibly, I think, put him against LeBron in a, in a playoff matchup. And again, I don't think he's as good as Avery Bradley, but, um, you know, he's something. And you've added Gordon Hayward. So, you know, you didn't need to give up any assets for that, which is important. But it's worth noting, I mean, you know, you look at sort of the advanced metric projections of the Celtics that came out, you know, late summer over the past few weeks. And we'll talk more about how the Bucks. Uh, looked in those we mentioned uh, in ESPN's uh, RPM forecast that Kevin Pelton did the Bucks were at 47 wins which I thought was very encouraging but I think the Celtics were only at about 49 I want to say or 50 yep. um, so even with the Hayward edition actually not reflecting you know this this big upgrade for the Celtics and I think you know what I'm seeing now is I think that they'll actually be hit a little bit more by this trade just because you gave up two valuable contributors in Crowder and Thomas for Kyrie, who, as we've said, isn't really that a guy that affects regular season winning as much as you'd hope. So, um, so I think there's, you know, I would view it as, as sort of a net uh, transfer of future wealth from the Celtics in terms of, you know, certainly that Brooklyn pick, but then also, you know, Crowder, a guy who's going to provide value over the next few years. Thomas, as you mentioned, I mean, the biggest thing here that the Celtics probably the motivation was, you 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 know basically de-risk yourself from feeling like you have to give Isaiah Thomas you know whatever he would have gotten next summer, which a brink struck or maybe two brink struck exactly exactly, and you now make the Cavs have to have to make that decision. Um, so, but again, they paid a really steep price for that, especially given that the Cavs are going to probably value Isaiah Thomas as much as anyone on an expiring contract because they're trying to be competitive this coming year. They're trying to keep LeBron happy and they're trying to replace a score first point guard. And, you know, that's obviously Isaiah slots in nicely there. So um, I think transferring some of that future wealth and some of those kind of all those assets from Boston, which has had so much of that. And granted, they have another pick, you know, that they got from Philly, uh, either the top one protected Lakers pick next year, or if not, you know, good chance it won't be that pick. It'll be the, I 
uh, believe it's still a is it protected pick or, or unprotected from the Kings? I think the year after. Um, so they they do still have that pick, but uh, but again, I mean, they cashed in some assets this summer for sure, and I think sending some more assets to Cleveland, which again, you know, I think longer term, if from a Bucks perspective, is you know, especially if they lose LeBron, is going to have to go into a rebuild anyway. You're not really worried about Cleveland being a you know contender to you know challenge Giannis and company in 2021 or something like that. That's a positive if you can kind of weaken a team like Boston, which uh, obviously along with Philly probably were the two teams that had the most long-term assets in the East. So um, so yeah, I, th- I think there's some kind of interesting upshot. I don't think there's any you know clear. Oh, now the Bucks can jump up next year and be the second seed in the East or something like that. Like that's, yeah, that's obviously no, not no. what, what anyone's going to predict. But, um, but I think anything to sort of destabilize anything to destabilize any of these, these two teams that are obviously ahead of the bucks now. Um, and I, I don't know, this may obviously increase the likelihood of LeBron staying, but I, I don't know. I still just get this feeling that LeBron is likely going to leave regardless. Um, Dan Gilbert is not going anywhere and it seems like he's the main source of, uh, LeBron probably wanting to move on sooner rather than later. But, um, but I don't know. It, it definitely adds a level of intrigue and the bucks are going to get a very early look at, at the, the main participants in this deal because they get the Boston Celtics in Boston on opening night. They'll be on hand for Kyrie Irving's regular season debut in Boston and then they'll get their home opener in Milwaukee against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and they'll get to see Isaiah Thomas, assuming he's healthy, um, and Jay Crowder along with LeBron um, at the Bradley Center. So they'll get that, and they get the Celtics the following week as home as well. So we're going to see a lot of these teams very early in the regular season. And I guess also from a Bucks perspective, maybe you hope that they're still working out some kinks. You know, maybe <laughs> Isaiah still yeah. getting that hip, uh, that injured hip, back up to, to full strength. Um, but certainly the NBA, uh, the NBA never sleeps. The NBA never stops. Basketball never stops. And, um, you know, just the NBA continuing its stranglehold on, uh, you know, the news cycle. And uh, even here in late August, giving us some fun things to talk about. Yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, just thinking about Boston more, like, if you just go into this summer and, uh, I guess, don't trade down, you take faults, like that faults is your way out of Isaiah Thomas then I guess you could probably keep Avery Bradley. And maybe you just want to trade Avery Bradley no matter what. I don't know if I would think that. But uh, th- you can have faults instead of IT. And then maybe you make that trade for Jimmy Butler. And then it's faults Jimmy Butler, Gordon Hayward on the wing. And th- if you still want to make that trade, then Marcus Morris. Like, man, there's <laughs> – like that summer – there was some scary ways that summer could have gone where I think you would just be absolutely terrified of the Celtics going forward. And uh, I don't know if that's the way it played out. And if you're a Bucks fan, I think that surely has to make you feel a little bit better about the team's future, whether or not obviously the Bucks have enough talent and whether or not they're a 51 team next year or the year after or anything like that. Like they still have plenty of work to do. So maybe it's not totally necessary to look at the the rest of the eastern conference and really try to figure out what's there but it's got to make you at least feel a little bit better uh, about the future of at least getting out of the eastern conference and maybe uh getting yourself to an nba finals and again still very very far down the road the bucks aren't there yet but um yeah i i think it's a generally positive outcome for them this year um Anything else you wanted to touch on with that before we moved on to a different topic, Frank? Yeah, I was just thinking a little bit about the Celtics. I mean, the 
the challenge for Boston here is that, you know, they have all, had these young guys. They had a bunch of guys on really good contracts. Um, I mean, Isaiah on a great contract. Jay Crowder on a great, great contract. Avery Bradley was on a really good contract. Uh, and obviously, they have all these picks who, you know, are going to be on con- good contracts for a while longer. Smart being the the exception there. He's going to be up for an extension. He's up for an extension now. Uh, hits restricted free agency in a year. And just sort of underlines, you know, again, you got to kind of make decisions at some point because it becomes hard to just keep all these guys. You can't just max everybody, right? You can't just give everybody 20, 25. In Isaiah Thomas's case, he wanted 30 million a year. So it's sort of interesting example to see how, how quickly teams can sort of start to feel that pressure of having to make decisions on, okay, well, who who's going to be our guys, right? Who, who are we actually going to start building this team around? And um, with Boston, I mean, Kyrie only 25, Gordon Hayward 27. Um, and so it's kind of like, all right, well, I mean, those two guys aren't, you know, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and Draymond and Clay Thompson, they're not losing sleep over those two guys. Um, <laughs> Al Horford's a really good player. I always yeah. loved Al Horford, but Al Horford is aging. Al Horford isn't keeping those guys up. Um, so I think it puts Boston in this weird position, especially with that that Brooklyn trade, the, the Brooklyn uh, pick now gone, where they really need one of either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum to be like awesome. (laughs) Preferably they want both of them to be awesome, but you know, they really need one of those guys to be, I don't know if I need, I don't think be a superstar, but a star, like be, be an awesome player because um, again, they're not going to have a chance to go in and, you know, again, unless, unless we'll, we'll see where that Kings pick ends up in a couple of years, but that Kings pick, if it, let's just say it ends up being the Kings pick because the Lakers aren't totally terrible this year. Um, that, that Kings pick is going to be a couple of years from being a useful NBA player, probably even if it's a high pick. So at that point, you know, Gordon Hayward and even Kyrie are, are a bit older, right? So it, it's an interesting thing here as far as, you know, I, I don't think it's, I mean, it's not like a this huge red flag, like the, oh, the Celtics now, like their windows are all screwed up. No, I mean, they have, some really good, two really good players at 25 and 27, and they have a couple of, you know, good young prospects, um, you know, that are 19 and 20, and and we'll see how quickly they can become good. But it does, I think, place pressure to to have one of those guys really pan out, especially because, um, you know, again, you don't have that Brooklyn pick uh, anymore this coming year. And I, I don't know. We'll see. It's a lot of pressure. And um, again, I, I think if you're if you're a team like the Bucks you would you would feel a lot better about your chances long term if you know when we see Jason Tatum and and Jalen Brown if we don't see them showing signs of being those star type players and and I don't know I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure either guy looks like a superstar I don't I, well I'll say it flat out I don't think either guy looks like a superstar to me um but I think whether those guys turn out to be you know borderline all-star types or just good starters that's going to matter a lot for the Eastern Conference lot, and the yes. Boston Celtics, um, because those guys are are going to have to be be good, and the Celtics clearly are are kind of banking on that a fair bit. And obviously, moving um, Jay Crowder, you know, it partly is because they had a bit of a logjam at the forward spots. You know, they have obviously Gordon Hayward is is more of a three, and you know they could play him at some two, but 
he's more of a three and and you obviously got Marcus Morris and then you've got um you know Al Horford theoretically can play some four but probably you know looking at this roster more of a five which I think is fine and uh and then you've got the, the two young guys who presumably come off the bench so um so it'll be interesting to see um I, I don't know they, there are they do not look like a world beater to me um but I think the Celtics will continue to be one of the most interesting teams just because they are constructed in such an interesting way where they they haven't sold out and gone all in for for the present um I don't know if they have to but I guess I don't know. We'll we'll see if if maybe there's one more move in Danny Ainge's back pocket. You know, do you try to get a guy who's a little bit more further along in their development curve? Um, you know, do you consider moving a Jalen Brown type guy? Um, given they seem to be in love with Tatum, um, do you move a Jalen Brown type um, with you know maybe that Kings pick to try to get that that additional star? But I don't know. That's probably a a, a much different podcast. All right. Before we move to our Final topic for the day, Frank. I wanted to mention that this episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, and I wanted to mention that I used SeatGeek today. Well, I shouldn't say I used. I was able to help my parents use SeatGeek today. They were looking for tickets to uh, the Brewers-Cardinals game next week, and they asked me where's the best place for us to find cheap tickets, and I said, well, (laughs) obviously, there's only one place to go. So I sent them over to SeatGeek, and... Then they were thrilled at the end to hear, oh, I get a $20 rebate for my first purchase? And I said, of course. And all they had to do was go to the SeatGeek app, download the SeatGeek app, hit enter a promo code, enter promo code L-O-N-B-A, again, L-O-N-B-A for Locked On NBA, and they're going to get sent a $20 rebate because it's their first SeatGeek purchase from SeatGeek. So it, it was a great deal for them. They were ecstatic. And then... Also, as I was, I was telling them to go check out SeatGeek, they, they were checking out the app, they were checking out, uh, they later looked on the website to take an even closer look at the, at the tickets, and they were thrilled because they could actually see what the view from their seats was going to look like when they bought tickets for this Brewers Cardinals game in Miller Park next week. Like They could actually see that, and that's what makes the app so great. And then they asked me, uh, is this a great deal? It, 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 is this a good deal? And I said, well, is it, is it a green dot? Is it a big green dot? Because then it's a great deal. And that's the thing, too. At SeatGeek, they, gre- they grade out the deals for you. They tell you exactly what you're purchasing, if it's a good deal. And it, it's so simple and easy to use. Once you get the hang of it, you know, once I walked them through it. But it, it was simple, and you could see that it was, in fact, a good deal. And, and they're ecstatic to use it. And that's why I always tell people, if you're looking for tickets for any event, head over to SeatGeek and use our promo code LONBA. Uh, let's move to the other topic we wanted to touch on today. Uh, Sports Illustrated's Ben Golliver wrote something about O.J. Mayo and the trip that he has taken over the last year and the uh, absurdity, let's call it, of the Where is O.J. Mayo post from earlier this summer and just kind of caught up with O.J. and chat with him a little bit and... I think maybe the most noteworthy quote was OJ saying that he thought he still owed something to Milwaukee, that they were paying him $8 million a year to be a good NBA player, and he wasn't delivering. He wasn't he wasn't staying in the best shape. He wasn't doing the things he needed to do off the floor. He wasn't – he just didn't deliver. So he felt like he still owed them something, and – when asked about his ideal situation, 
once he could return to the NBA, it was in Milwaukee, and he mentioned that he got along with Jason Kidd, and he thought he had a good relationship with Giannis and Chris Middleton, and he, he thought he just fit in there, and his dream scenario would be to be back with the Milwaukee Bucks in 2018 uh, once he would be done with his two-year ban, presumably, because obviously he still has that. I think you have to go through some tests, and I, I think there may be like an interview process and uh, a bunch of different things that would finally get you cleared and uh, have you not be banned from the league. So he would still have to do all of that, but that was kind of what he foresaw as a perfect situation for him in 2018. Do you feel um, like that would be a perfect situation for the Milwaukee Bucks? Maybe not OJ, but for the Milwaukee Bucks. And I guess what was your your general thoughts on the piece? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was it was fascinating insight into to OJ, given that um, you know again there was all this talk about like well, where is OJ? Oh, nobody can reach him. Like everyone, we interviewed you know a Bleacher Report articles like we talked to all these different people. Nobody knows where he is and. You know, um, I think our, our friends at Burp tweeted like immediately like uh, an Instagram post of him working out with Taj Gibson like the week before. So, uh, you know, maybe that was exaggerated. But clearly he he literally went on a, a literal and figurative journey after the suspension. And um, I thought his candor in, in Ben's interview was was refreshing and, and great. And, you know, so interesting to see a guy just reflect and and hold nothing back it felt like right i mean he he would talk very soberly about um mistakes he's made and and also i think just you know his willingness to just own up to those mistakes right i mean he he tried to give some background into you know the last decade and and sort of even going beyond that to to his high school days but but he also you know he didn't blame anybody but himself for for what had happened and um i thought that was really refreshing you know i mean again some people say well i mean he's just being honest is is something you don't shouldn't give you know people tons of credit just for saying what everybody saw right yeah he didn't you know he the he didn't give the bucks what they what they deserved in this contract like okay congratulations you still got the money but um but you know i i think obviously there was a lot going on with oj he he i think you always got this sense and, and you know this because you're around people with the team more than i am but uh, it was pretty remarkable. I mean, you you look at the response to that from people with the Bucks, you know, people on Bucks staff after the article came out. It was uniformly people saying, you know, they were rooting for OJ, saying positive things about him. Media members saying how great he had always been to work with. Um, you know, he he's a guy that for whatever he's struggled with um, off the court and you know challenges he's had living up to certainly the hype that that he came with as a high school player uh, or even in his early NBA career, um, he's not a guy who who let that affect necessarily the way he treated people. And and I think that, um, you know, is something that, that you you've have to feel good about as a fan, that that was obviously something that um, still translated to the people around him. His teammates obviously liked him a lot. Um, you know, we joked about the Uncle, Ju- Uncle Juice thing and him standing up for his teammates and being the guy who would stand up for people and, you know, stand up to DeMarcus Cousins and whoever else, even though sometimes it didn't seem like, you know, necessarily good business decisions for OJ as a human being, standing up to enormous people on a basketball court. But, um, but yeah, it, it was refreshing to hear and it was encouraging, I think, just to hear that OJ sort of gotten himself back on track because he's certainly a guy that I've been rooting for to to get back to where he was. And, um, you know, again, I, I tweeted, I, I don't expect him to be back in Milwaukee. Um, 
you know, that I think that would depend on a, a lot of things, including, you know, the Bucks depth chart at the time, you know, next, a year from now when he could potentially be eligible to return to the NBA. Um, you know, we don't know exactly where the Bucks will be, but obviously they, they do have, uh, some depth on the wing at this point. But, um, but again, like totally different situation from, for instance, Larry Sanders, right? Who I think you and I have both been very clear in every indication we've got from the Bucks as an organization, like there was never any desire to ever revisit the Larry Sanders situation. Yep. Um, they had just been through too much with Larry and too much unpredictability. And uh, that was not going to, that, that was a bridge too far. That was not going to ever happen. Um, but with OJ, it always felt a bit different, even though, um, you know, there were, I don't know. I mean, different issues at, at play. Obviously there were obviously both guys had, had, had drug suspensions. Um, OJ did reveal in the interview, um, that it was prescription painkillers. And I think he also said marijuana. Um, but they, I believe it was the painkillers that I guess qualified as the drug of abuse, which got him suspended. Um, which, you know, obviously when the, when the suspensions first happened, there was speculation was, Oh, is it cocaine? Is it some kind of, you know, hard drug or whatever it might be. And again, you know, this is sort of all footnote to that. Um, this doesn't change sort of the, the suspension itself, but, um, you know, you just hope that he's gotten behind that and, He's in a better place now, and obviously there was a lot of talk about him and the workouts he's been doing with NBA players, including Tony Snell and others, and it seems like he's getting himself in much better shape, and I think I heard that he's applied to be cleared by FIBA to potentially go play in another league outside the NBA this year, so hopefully he does that. Hopefully he plays somewhere, um, has a productive year, and then obviously as a fan, I, I would be fine bringing OJ back. You know, Again, I mean, as much as he was candid about not giving the Bucks everything that they deserved um, in terms of the value on the court. Um, I don't think it was necessarily an effort thing. You know, I mean, I think he was a guy that still, especially that last season, worked hard defensively, really just couldn't make shots that last season, um, which was the one thing that, you know, certainly you always think of O.J. Mayo could do. So um, so I would be open to it. But again, I mean, it's a competitive league. I think it'll be like, what, 30 or something like that when he comes back uh, next year. So um, again, margin of error in the NBA is is not always very high, and um, he'll definitely have something to prove. But uh, certainly a year from now, depending on where the Bucks are, I, I would be I would be open to it if, uh, you know, if he's put, put his problems behind him. Yeah, I think there's a number of the things you touched on were obviously things that I enjoyed hearing as well. Just one, the big thing for me was when you see a guy get the ban from the NBA for having a, a drug of abuse, you're you're always concerned about maybe where that person's life is at, what what is going on with them, and you're just hoping for the best that something much worse doesn't doesn't happen to them like getting suspended from the nba is one thing but uh, i mean being on maybe even addicted to a drug of abuse that's it's dangerous and just for his own life like that's not, that's a situation where someone could pass away and you never want to see that happen so uh, i get again it's not good to abuse pain pills but um the fact that it wasn't something like you said like it wasn't a hard drug like cocaine like that that would have been a really bad situation. So um, that was good to hear. Um, just that kind of he was on the right track was good to hear. And I, I think you're right in thinking that I'd be totally cool with having Uncle Juice back. Um, obviously, we had a little point juice that year as well. Like he was very, he was helpful it, despite not making shots. He he ended up being really helpful for that team and. 
I think he could be helpful again in a role like that. But uh, the the only thing for me is uh, I don't know if that would be the best role for him, that Milwaukee would be the best spot for him just because I, I don't know what their roster looks like. Because if he comes back and they have Tony Snell, Chris Middleton, and Sterling Brown or Rashad Vaughn have turned into rotation players, if one of them does, you have three guys that should be playing Mayo's position before him. So um, just from an opportunity and an ability to get back on the court and make an impact and uh, get his career back on track, I don't know if Milwaukee would be the best place for it. Obviously, if, if he's not all that concerned about maybe putting up a bunch of points, having a lot of opportunity. Okay, maybe a, just a, a minimum contract in Milwaukee looks okay. And, again, he was he was good with all those things, standing up for teammates, helping them out, being the veteran kind of guy. All those things could be fine as your 10th or 11th guy, but I just don't know if that would be the right move for him. So it'll be something to keep an eye on and – uh, like you said, hopefully he gets cleared by FIBA, and hopefully he can start playing professional basketball again. Um, obviously, it might end up being overseas, but uh, it would it would be nice to see him be able to do that. And I know they talked about how he lost uh, almost 30 pounds, I believe it is, from uh, the time he started joining these workouts. And um, you, you just hope he can look like a semblance of himself again. And you, you hope that he hasn't gotten too old because um, at times in basketball, it can just it can just switch and all of a sudden you're not quick enough to play and especially if you are forced to take two years off of NBA competition it could not look so good when he gets another chance so um, hopefully it all works out and uh, like, like you said I will join the chorus of people in the Bucks organization and hope for the best for him yeah and I mean to be honest for that reason he'll be he's turning 30 in November so um, I, to be honest, I think any contract he can get in the NBA next summer would be a good thing for OJ. Yeah. To be honest, I don't, I don't know how. My guess is he's not going to be, you know, having his choice of options. So, um, whether whether the Bucks were willing to do that or whether it's it's someplace else, um, I, I think any any opportunity would probably be a good one. And again, given what he's gone through, I'm guessing he will be appreciative of of any chance he gets. And um, again, obviously, he's a guy who. Really, up until last season, you know, wherever he or two years ago now, um, wherever he went, you know, he he shot, and and then really that last year was sort of the the first time where it felt like his his shot really abandoned him, even though he was doing a lot of other things defensively. He worked really hard, um, and obviously some of the intangible stuff I think helped. And you know, he was one guy who the Bucks seemed to play well with when he was on the court, despite all the issues he had offensively. So, anyway, shout out to Uncle Juice. Um, Fingers crossed for him whether it eventually would lead him back to Milwaukee or not. But um, hopefully, uh, hopefully he he's back on track and hopefully he's back playing somewhere. Uh, I'd I'd love to see him scoring forty a game in in uh, China or something this coming year. So uh, so good luck to Juice and uh, yeah, I think that's it for now. Um, anything else we're missing? Uh, do we do we forget any any aspect of the emergency? Pseudo emergency Kyrie Irving, <laughs> Isaiah Thomas. Podcast. I don't think so. I think we've covered it all, and this entire episode has been brought to you by SeatGeek. So a big shout out to them again. Use our promo code L O N B A for Locked On NBA. Again, that's L O N B A for Locked On NBA, and get a twenty dollars rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. And if you've already used it, just 
go ahead and head over to SeatGeek because they're going to have great deals on tickets anyways. So uh, that was Frank Madden. I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked On Bucks, and we will talk to you later. Napa it takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17